Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, Chad would be envious of that. <laughs> oh, my. Well, the title of my message today is The Greatest Threat to Christianity in America Today. Now, I did not choose this title for my sermon lightly. Of course, it is my opinion, and you might have a different opinion, but I think I can back up my opinion with Scripture. Some people think that maybe the greatest threat to Christianity today is materialism. We all want more things, and when we have more things, we want better things. It's the American way. As a result, some Christians are so far in debt that they don't have any money to give to the church, to the Lord. That's a problem. And many times when people get extra money, what they do is that they start thinking, okay, what can I buy next? Very seldom do Christians think, oh, how much more can I give to the church? It's the way we've been programmed to think in America. Now that may or may not be true, but I don't think that's the biggest problem in Christianity today. Some would say the greatest threat to Christianity to the church today is a desire for experiences. Now, of course, we're Washingtonians here. First sunny day of spring, you know, it's like, where can I go, you know? And if it's on a Sunday, well, you know, we'll just skip Sunday. Now, I can understand that. Karen and I, we try to get away for a weekend once every quarter, just for R&R, and that's important. But some Christians take it to the extreme, and, you know, they, they just, it's summer, I'll be back to church in the fall. That's when it becomes a problem. But I don't think that's the biggest problem in Christianity today. One person suggested that they thought the biggest problem in Christianity today, the biggest threat to the church today, was apathy. And yes, there is a lot of apathy today in the church. But I don't think that's the biggest problem. Some would say maybe it's a lack of leadership or or a lack of vision in the church. Now, that's not true in our church, but in many churches I think that is true. But I don't think that's the biggest problem in church today. Here is what I think the biggest problem, the biggest threat to Christianity in America is, and it is a general lack of Bible knowledge by Christians. Now i got to back that up, don't I? Let's see if I can do that. I love history. History tells us that there was a period of time when Christians did not need to know the Bible. There were clergy out there, and they were to teach the Bible. In fact, the clergy told them that they really weren't able to understand the Bible as they did not have the training to correctly interpret it. What do we call this period of time? What was that? The Dark Ages. Yeah, 
the dark ages. Christians just gave up reading, studying, whatever, the Bible, and just turned it over to the clergy, and we call that the dark ages. Now, how did we get this way today where I believe we have a general lack of understanding of the Bible and of doctrine? Well, some say it's the fault of Sunday school. Let me explain that to you. Church historians considered Robert Rakes and Thomas Stock to be founders of the modern Sunday school movement. In 1780, they became burdened with a number of poor and orphan children in their community that knew nothing about the Bible. You see, back then, the parents taught the Bible to their children. And these orphans out there, they didn't have any parents, and so they were ignorant of the Bible. And so they had a heart for children. They had a heart to desire to teach them the truths of God's word. And they encouraged churches to start Sunday schools. Then all the children have an opportunity to know the word of God. Now, what could be more compassionate than that? How could anyone find fault with Sunday schools? Well, amazingly, some churches strongly oppose the Sunday school movement. Why? Listen closely. It seemed that some of the Christian leadership felt Christian parents within the church would abdicate their responsibility to teach their own children spiritual truths and turn the job over to the Sunday school. Flash forward 250 years. Prophecy fulfilled. Most parents abdicate the teaching and the training of God's word to the church. I had an associate at a church, and he had a cartoon that was uh, on his door for a while. And it was a picture of a, a young man being led away in handcuffs by the police, and the mother's in the background, and she cries out, where, oh, where did my youth pastor go wrong? <laughs> It'd even be more funny if it weren't so true. We've just said, well, we'll just let the church teach the children. Most Christian parents rely rely entirely on church programs, and it's getting worse. Therefore, it's not surprising that Christian colleges, and I talked to a president of a Christian college, and he told me this. He says, our freshman students are coming in being nearly Biblically illiterate. Oh, sure, they know the story of creation and Moses in the bulrushes and the parting of the sea and, you know, Jonah in the whale. You know, they have those dozen or so stories down. But as far as understanding and knowing the Bible, they have no clue whatsoever. More and more churches are doing away with their Sunday schools. And now the problem is even more compound. The state of the church in America today is that it's not just the children and the youth 
that lack Bible knowledge, it's the adults as well. You think I'm wrong? No. <laughs> Thank you. There are a number of Bible quizzes online that you can take. Go take one. See how well you do. In a poll taken in 2018, a majority of Christians said that Jesus was God's first and greatest creation, not the eternal Son of God. The same poll, the majority said they did not believe the words in the Bible were inspired, only kind of the thoughts behind them. The early church branded both of those as heresies. Okay, that's the bad news. We got that out of the way. Okay, you feeling guilty? Uh, now for the good news. Well, you know, once we recognize the problem, now we can work on it, right? Today, I want to give you five ways to increase your biblical literacy. All right, five ways. I was told that the perfect sermon had three points to it. I've got five, so this is beyond perfect. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Okay, number one, read the Bible. Okay, it makes sense, doesn't it? Read it for content. Read it for knowledge. Read it for information. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, to be fair, it does not say you stored up God's word in your mind. It says you stored up God's word in your heart. There's a big difference there. But you can't store up the word of God in your heart until you first got it in your mind. You got to have it. Listen to this story from Matthew chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said unto him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Do you see what Jesus did here? What did he do? He quoted scripture. He had it in his head. 
Now, people argue whether he he knew Scripture because he was God or because he learned it in the Jewish school that he would have attended. Over in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, a very interesting verse, says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. There was some natural, he was all human. Didn't Pastor Chad say that last week? He was all human. He he, he went to school and and he grew in wisdom all of that. But regardless, whether he knew it as God or he learned it in the Jewish uh, school there, we don't have the advantage of being God, do we? Therefore, we have to learn it the old-fashioned way, and that is by reading it first, getting it into our heads. Reading the Bible is the first step. It's not the last step. It's not, you know, I got his Bible program, I'm going to read a, ch- a chapter a day from the New Testament and two chapters from the Old Testament, and, and that's it. You know, it's the first step. Reading, get information. Step number two, listen to the Word. Listen to the Word. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, why did God give pastors and teachers to the church? To build up the church. Okay? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To build up spiritually the body of Christ. That's the purpose. He states the purpose. Why he gave teachers to the church. In in 1 Timothy 4.13, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So why did God give teachers to the church? Because we need them. If we didn't need them, God made a mistake. Okay, If I could just sit at home all by myself, read my Bible, that's all I needed, then, then God really messed up here by giving teachers. And by the way, it says that he gave them to the church not to the church, with the exception of few individuals who are sexually smart and can learn it on their own. No, it doesn't say that. He gave it to the church. Everybody in the church needs to come and hear the word of God being taught. Behind the earthly teacher is a spiritual teacher, the Holy Spirit. The human teacher is the agent of God to teach us the word of God. Let me just give you one warning here. Be careful who you listen to. Okay? You turn on the television and you got a lot of people out there who are claiming that they're teaching the Word of God who are doing anything but teaching the Word of God. I believe part of the elder's job is to guard the flocks from the wolves. So if there's somebody maybe you've heard or you listen to or you're thinking about listening to, go up to an elder and say, what do you think of so-and-so? And if they don't know, they'll say, 
I don't know, but I will research that for you and I'll come back and tell you if this guy's legit or not. I think Christians are some of the most gullible people on the face of the earth. They really are. The guy standing on the corner holding the sign, almost every single one of them says, God bless you. What, What are they appealing to? The gullibility of Christians. Okay? we will give to anybody who claims anything about Christianity regardless of what they're doing out there. We need to do some research, folks. We need to find out where the wolves are and make sure we're not helping the cause of Satan instead of helping the cause of Christ. We need to listen to the word of God, but we need to listen to it correctly. Number three. Number three is study the word. Now, study the word is different from reading the word. Reading is you're just going through for content, for information. Studying is now we're going to go deeper. For part of my life, I belonged to a church called the Berean Church. Personally, I thought that was a poor name for a church. Number one, the unsaved folks had absolutely no idea what that meant, right? The Berean Church. I don't know what that is, you know. Secondly, most of the Christians have no idea what that means either. It was kind of an insider secret code for, for some people. But, but let me tell you where it comes from. It comes from Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And it says, Now these Jews who were at the city of Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these were so. They eagerly listened to the word of God, point two, and then they went home and studied it, studied what they had heard. Now, I've been to churches where the, the pastor's attitude has been, it's my way or the highway, you know. Uh, if you approached him and said, you know, I've been doing more study on what you said last week, and and I disagree on something you said. The pastor would probably do an exorcism right on the spot, you know. (laughs) I respect Pastor Chad. I respect him as a person. I respect him as a pastor. I, I respect him as a teacher, and I've told him so. Does that mean I always agree with him? No. I've told them that too. (laughs) But we must study the Bible for ourselves. But when when we get to heaven, God's not going to ask us, did you believe everything your pastor told you? You No. No. Um, Blindly following a teacher can be dangerous. Proof of that is 918 people in Jonestown, Guyana, blindly followed their pastor, Jimmy Jones, all the way to the grave. But studying isn't about trying to catch the pastor making a mistake. Studying is for the purpose of deepening our knowledge of the Word of God. Now, 
don't display this up on the screen yet, okay? I want to quote one of my favorite verses to you, okay? It's First Chronicles 26, 18. And it says, At Parbar westward forth the causeway unto at Parbar. Did you get that? Okay, First Chronicles 26, 18. At Parbar westward forth the causeway unto at Parbar. Got it now? One more time. First Chronicles 26, 18. At Parbar westward forth the causeway unto at Parbar. Got it? No, put it up on the screen. First Chronicles 26, 18. At Parbar westward forth the causeway unto at Parbar. You know why that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible? <laughs> because there is a rich spiritual truth found in that verse. But it's only for those who will study it out. Okay? Hint, find out what parbar means in its context and then contrast that to the work of Christ. Truths are there to be mined. There are golden nuggets in the Bible that can be dug out, but for only those who are willing to do the work to do the digging. Next point. Meditate on the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Well, let me just give you some verses here. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that ye may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Psalm 119, 78. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehoods. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Psalm 143, verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. Of the five ways to increase your Bible knowledge, this is the one I enjoy the most. Meditating on the Word of God. Meditation has become a lost art form in our rush to accomplish more and more. Sadly, I once mentioned to a board member of a church I was pastoring that I had spent that whole morning meditating on the Word of God. And his response to me was, we don't pay you for doing nothing. Yeah. That's how a lot of people see meditating. Well, that's not doing anything. You know? Yeah, we're so focused on doing that we forget how to become. Doing becomes more important than being. And if we look at our calendar, honeydew list, I. I can't say bet in church. Uh, I would almost conclude concisively that nobody's honeydew list has meditate on the word of God on it. Meditation is where God speaks to my heart. Not just my head. This is where God and I get personal. 
If your devotional life has gotten boring, chances are you're not meditating on the Word of God. Because there's nothing boring about God talking to me. It's exciting. It's wonderful. I like that. They put the speaker, it blocks the clock. I can't see what time it is. That's fantastic. Okay, number five. Oh. You know what it means when the pastor looks at his watch, don't you? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> number five. That was for free, by the way. Uh, five. Memorize the word. How many of you can't memorize scripture? Come on, be honest. Okay, all right. I thought I was too old to memorize scripture. And then a funny thing happened back in January. I was in New Zealand. Karen and I were there celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary with our daughter there. And my daughter and her husband and their two sons were learning a foreign language at home on, a, on an app. And they challenged me to do it. So, being the kind of father that wants his children to admire and respect him, I said, okay, I'll, I'll learn German. After all, it's what we'll be speaking in heaven, so I might as well get an <laughs> advance going. I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot while I was there, and then when I get home, I'll just forget, you know, about the whole deal. I went over 150 straight days of spending 15 minutes a day learning German. I got a vocabulary of about 500 words now. But the most important thing I learned was I can still memorize. Okay? 15 minutes a day in a plan is all that it took. So today we're going to memorize a verse of Scripture to prove to you that you can still, in fact, memorize. Now, I was going to have all the children come up at this time, but all the children are gone, so I could myself. Okay. We're going to memorize Ephesians 4.32 this morning. Okay? We're going to say the Scripture reference. And then we are going to quote the verse. So go ahead and put the verse up on the screen, Ephesians 4.32. I want you to say it together with me. Here we go. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Next slide. Here we go. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, Ephesians 4.32, 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Next slide. Again, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Again, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Next slide. <laughs> Here we go. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Next slide. <laughs> Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and Christ forgave you. One more time. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All right. Most of you here have now memorized Ephesians 4.32. Some of you might need to work on it a little bit more, but that's how you do it. Now, the problem isn't memorizing, though, is it? What's the problem? Remembering that. So you need a plan to remember. Here's a good plan. Repeat the verse correctly four times a day the first week. Repeat the verse correctly the second week three times a week. Repeat the verse correctly two times a week, the third week, and from thereafter, do it once a week. You will remember it. Okay. I want to go back to a passage I read earlier. I want to now explain to you why an ignorance of God's word is the greatest threat to the church today. Remember how Jesus defeated Satan by using scripture, in terms of warfare, the word of God is referred to as a sword. In Ephesians 6, 13 through 18, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, by the way, that is a crucial phrase. <clears throat> Another sermon. Uh, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. In warfare against Satan, the Word of God is our sword. It is our weapon to use against Satan. Hebrews 4, 
12, the first part of the verse says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The word of God is the weapon that destroys the strongholds of Satan in our life. So what does Satan want to have happen? He wants to disarm us. He wants to take our sword away. Now if he can't take it away, he would like us to just not be able to use it very effectively. I often think of Peter at the Last Supper and you know the soldiers come and Peter draws a sword and chops off the ear of the high priest's servant. I don't think Peter was aiming for the ear. You know, that's really not a deadly blow. You know, you know, I think he was aiming somewhere else, but he wasn't. He was a fisherman. What did he know about using a sword? He was ineffective with the sword he had. We've got the sword. We don't know it. We don't understand it. Then we become just as ineffective as Peter in the warfare. So Satan wants to disarm us. Without our sword, Satan can beat us every time. Therefore, we need to read the Word of God. We need to listen to the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God. We need to meditate on the Word of God. We need to memorize the Word of God. Now I'm going to do something that is going to cement the sermon in your mind for the rest of your life. <laughs> Allie, would you come up? Okay. Allie agreed about 30 minutes ago <laughs> to help me with this illustration. <clears throat> Allie is going to be Miss Average Christian. Okay. The Bible represents the Bible, <clears throat> and I am Satan, okay? <laughs> Unless you want to be Satan, uh, no, okay. <clears throat> okay, I want you to hold the Bible with your thumb. Put up the hand, please. There we go. Hold it with your thumb. This is a Christian who, who reads the Bible. That's all she does. Satan comes along. Okay, that was pretty simple. Okay, there you go again. Now we have this average Christian who reads the Bible and goes to church and listens to the sermon. So now she's going to hold it like that. And Satan comes along. A little harder, wasn't it? Don't ruin my illustration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been practicing being Satan for several weeks now. <laughs> okay, now, this average Christian reads the Bible, goes to church, listens to it, and she studies the Bible at home. Satan comes along. That was still harder. 
but Satan still took it out of her hand. Now, this average Christian reads, listens, studies, and meditates on the Bible. Ooh. Okay. Now, Miss Christian reads, listens, studies, meditates, and memorizes the Word of God. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you, Allie. Now, I bet if you don't remember the sermon, you'll remember Allie and I fighting over a Bible up front here. Why do I think the greatest threat to Christianity in America today is a lack of Bible knowledge? It's because it leaves us defenseless against Satan's attacks. And if Satan can destroy Christians, Satan can destroy the church. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us something that is more precious than silver or gold. You have given us something that the average person has not been able to hold in their hands or read with their eyes until about 300 years ago. Father, you have given us something that is a portal into your very presence. And we can know the mind of Christ because the Holy Spirit of God uses the Holy Word of God to produce the Holy Child of God. And yet, Father, I confess how much I ignore this precious gift. How, how, how much it, it, it just sits instead of being read, listened to, studied, memorized, meditated on, Lord. Father, may we go from here today anew, excited about getting into your word. If for no other reason, then it will, it will fight off the attacks of Satan in every circumstance. But Father, even greater than that, may we get into the word so we might have sweet, wonderful fellowship and communion with you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.